Well, good morning, everyone. What I want to do this morning is continue our series that I was doing in December. I had one more message of that series, if you don't mind. A series of hope arrived in that series. This will be the last message of that series. Just a few days ago, we brought in the new year, about a week and a half ago. How many of you watched the ball drop at, in New York City? Okay, not too many. How many of you were awake at that night? How many of you stayed up? There's a few of you stayed up and you actually watched it. As the new year came in, there were a lot of people that did stay up, by the way, that watched it come in. And there were parties to celebrate this year. Not as many as probably as the previous years where large gatherings took place. But many people celebrated in their homes and stuff like that with their family and stuff. As the new year break comes in, everybody breaks in a song called Old Lang Syne. You guys hear the song, Old Lang Syne? Everybody breaks into that song. And it was a song that came out of Scotland in the 1700s. In our series, Hope Arrived, what we did in December, we sang Christmas songs, and each week I focused on a song, and I talked about that at the beginning of my message. Well, the song this morning I want to talk about is Old Lang Syne. As I say, it's not a Christmas song, but what it means, it means old long since, old times, the olden days. It came out of Scotland in 1700s, and it was popularized in 1929 by a guy named Guy Lombardo. How many of you ever heard of Guy Lombardo? Oh, guys, people, I figure it was only my age or above that's heard of Guy Lombardo, but, uh, you know, because he's been passed for a while. But he was doing a radio show, and he was doing a music set. Uh, in between two music sets, he kind of just threw this song in, O Lang Syne, and there was a tradition was born ever since, and the song has been played. What I want to do this morning is just kind of read a couple of the lines from this song. So bear with me. It says, Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne? For old lang syne, me dear, for old lang syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for old lang syne. That cup of kindness that is referenced in that song, what is he talking about? What is he talking about, that cup of kindness? And I want to focus on the word kindness this morning. That's what I want to focus on. The cup of kindness goes way back to Scotland as well. And they had a cup. It was a large cup. And it, and it had at least two handles. And there was one on either side. And this cup was a, called a quake cup. And it was used when visitors would come to people's house. They would offer this cup. They would extend this cup to them. And the legend has it that you needed to take two hands to take this cup. So if you came to someone's house with the sword in your hand and they offered you that cup, you had to drop the sword or lay that sword down in order to take this cup of kindness. This cup would also be used as people were getting married. The quake cup may be part of the ceremony. As there were two handles on either side, as a symbol, each one would grab, grab it as a symbol to share the love of that cup of kindness. And in millions of people, as the new year came in, as January 1, 2021 came in, people brought in the new year, and many people sang that song, Old Lang Syne, even though most of you seem like you're in bed at that time, but many people sang that song and brought in the new year, and in those moments together, as they sung that song together, watched that ball drop or whatever they did, all their theological, all their political, all their ideological differences, all those things, national difference, all went to the side, and they focused at singing that song on this cup of kindness this cup of kindness. You know, we live in a cruel world, and the answer to cruelty in our world, do you realize, is kindness. It's kindness. If you have your Bibles, open them to Titus chapter 3. Hopefully you have it there. This is a little book in the New Testament. Uh, Define Titus. It's after 2 Timothy, but it's before Hebrews. Actually, it's 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, then Hebrews, so it's between those two books. Uh, let me give you a little background. 
Titus is one of the pastoral epistles, uh, one of the pastor's uh, uh, letters. The, the, the writer was Paul, and he would write letters to Timothy, a, a young man in ministry, as well as to Titus, another young man in ministry. And Titus was pastoring a church on this island of Crete, which is south of Greece. It's a large island. But the context of the first century was the Roman Empire. It was in that context. We sometimes look at a world today, and we think it can't get any worse today than today. It is right now. We look at our culture, and say that, that it is bad. The culture is bad. Uh, biblical beliefs are no longer embraced. And many people are saying that's no longer embraced. Oh, wow, it's, it's so terrible. But let me tell you, the first century is bad too. It, it, from a purest point of view, as you look at sin, sin isn't any worse today than it was in the first century, than it was in the Garden of Eden. Sin in this essence is, is this, it, uh, doesn't change. It's the same. Depravity doesn't change. The experience of this depravity, the expression of depravity can change from culture to culture, from person to person, from family to family, from country to country, and from time to time. But sin in its essence and depravity is just as bad as it was in the creation. At, at the time, in the Garden of Eden, I mean. The first century, there was a historian that wrote about the first century during the Roman Empire, and this is what he had to say. He says, the Roman Empire was brutal and generally indifferent to suffering. Sympathy and mercy were considered weaknesses. Virtues were anathema to those in Rome. The church world was both decadent and cruel. The practice of infanticide, for example, was widespread and legal throughout the Greek and Roman world during the early days of Christianity. In fact, abortion, infanticide, child sacrifice were extremely common throughout the ancient world during that time. So the things of like kindness were off everyone's radar. People weren't looking to be kind. No one was thinking of kindness. In fact, if you were kind during that time, it was, they considered their personality weakness to be kind to others. So Paul is writing to Titus. and is explaining to Titus how to, how to have an impact on the island for the church that has been so affected and shaped by a, a cruel Roman empire. Is what he's trying to share. And he says, but how do you do that? When you think about that, how do you do that? How do you do that today? When we look at our world, it's boy, it's so cruel out there. The first chapter in Titus, Paul is going to talk about leadership and pastoral leadership. And he's going to give a long list of qualifiers, what it is for a person to be a leader inside of the church. Paul says the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He gives Timothy a, a long list. If you combine the list in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, you come up with about 18 or 19 characteristics. They have to be in the life of a person if they're going to church, serve in church leadership. The vast majority of those are character qualities. Really, there's only one that's not. It's the ability to teach if you want to be an elder or pastor. But in chapter 2, Paul shifts from church leadership to the community of faith. And he says, this is how you'd behave in a society amongst yourself. This is how you'd behave in the church, inside of the church, as you relate to others. This is how you'd behave. In chapter 3, he expands it. And he says, this is how the church needs to behave to the broader cruel community that doesn't know Jesus and they don't recognize Jesus. This is how you behave to them. This morning, I want to share with you a couple of thoughts from Titus chapter 3. So hopefully you have your outline. And they're very simple and easy to understand but they're really hard to implement. But isn't that the way much of the Bible is? If you really read the Bible, much of it is really easy to understand. I mean, it's really not hard to grasp when we put our mind to studying it, to understand it, but it's really hard to put into practice, isn't it? It's really hard to implement. And the same as this passage today, you're really not going to hear anything new, but some of the things that I'm going to ask you to do is really hard to implement. So I want to give you two truths of showing kindness 
If you have your outline, the first one, live as kind citizens. Live as kind citizens. Let's read Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, remind, he's talking to Titus, remember, remind the people to be subject. Other translations say to be submissive. Remind the people to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Paul is talking in this first verse how Christians, follower of Jesus Christ, are to relate to government leadership. That's really important right now, isn't it? We need this, don't we, right now? It's timely for us to hear these kind of things in our own life right now. And the first thing, he says three things here. The first thing he says to us is that we are to be submissive. We are to be subject to them. And I want you to really notice in your Bible, and I want you to look really close. Do you see any fine print around there? Do you see anything that's in the fine print like disqualifiers? Like, I'm to be submissive as long as they are the same political party. Do you see that written there? No, no. Do you see, I'm to be submissive as long as I agree with them, right? Do you see that there? That's not found. That's not found. All it says there that you and I are to be subject to them or we're to be submissive. That's what it says. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, to the Roman believers in Romans 13, he uses the exact same words to be submissive. And God is saying when you're submissive, understand that the people I have placed in government are ministers of mine for good is what he says. It uses the same word for a president or, or a prime minister or governor as he does for ministers of the gospel. Do you realize that? He uses the same word. They're ministers of God for good is what he says. They're ministers of mine, God says, to do good. So our responsibility as followers of Jesus, he says, is to be submissive. That's what we're supposed to do. And when you read the rest of Scripture, that involves praying for them. We're to pray for them. I, I think it also involves, when you put it together, to maybe vote and those kind of things, to be involved. But it goes on to say, and it gives us the second thing, he says, he tells us to obey them, to be obedient to them. We're to be obedient to the government authorities. Again, Look very closely. Examine it with your own eyes. There's no fine print there. There's no disqualifiers there. It just says to obey the government authorities, doesn't it? It just says it. Be obedient to them. But when we look at the broader scope of Scripture, we find examples where disobedience was allowed sometimes against the government authorities. When the laws of the land were in direct conflict with God's expectations and God's word, then when it comes to that, we're to follow God's word. An example of that would be in the book of Daniel. Remember, they told Daniel he's not allowed to pray. Do not pray. That was man's law. Do not pray. And Daniel went ahead and prayed. Remember also in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down and worship this idol. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Remember what they said? We can't do this. We, can, we have to obey God. You can throw us in the fiery furnace if you want. Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship that idol. We only serve one. It's God. We find the same thing in the early church in Acts chapter 5. Remember, the two apostles were arrested, and they were told no longer to preach in the name of Jesus. And they said that we have to obey God rather than man. So we need to understand we are to be obedient to government authorities and the laws of the land as long as they don't come in direct conflict with God's word, right? As long as they don't conflict with God's word and not tell us to do something that's against God's word. But most of, most of the laws of the land don't come in conflict with God's word. Like when the, the, it tells us to go at a certain speed limit, you realize that God wants us to obey the government authorities. When it tells us to wear our seatbelts, we're to do that. When it tells us to pay our taxes, we're to do that, right? We're to obey them. But even when we disobey man's law, we have to understand, we have to be prepared to live in consequences 
as followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, if man's law comes in conflict with God's word, and I'm obedient to God's word and obedient to God, it doesn't mean I won't suffer consequences of breaking man's law. And as followers of Jesus, we have we're willing to do that, right? We have to be willing to do that. The third thing he says in verse 1, and I like, he says, to be ready to do whatever is good. To be ready to do whatever is good. And I like the wording of that because I find it kind of convicting to my own lifestyle when it says to be ready to do whatever is good. Sometimes we like to schedule acts of kindness. We want to schedule those out that maybe in a small group we're going we're gonna to schedule these acts of kindness that we're going to do. We're going to schedule this church and people say, we need to do acts of kindness and we need to schedule this out. And somebody is, sometimes a family we might schedule to do meals or do something else. We schedule those acts of kindness. But verse 1 says, be ready to do whatever is good all the time. And when it's saying we need to be programmed, when we see someone in need, when we see something that's happening, we're ready to help. We're ready to look for those opportunities to help others and step in and do it is what it's saying. To be ready. So it's not a scheduled act of kindness. It's not what Paul is talking about. That's not what God wants for us. I want you to schedule these acts of kindness at this time. You're going to do this. He says they come random. Kindness becomes who we are. That's what he's saying. It becomes who we are. And the opportunities are always there if you're looking for them. They're always there to show random acts of kindness. They don't have to say, well, I've got to schedule it to do this. No, as they come up during the day and through the week, we see them and we respond. That's what Paul is saying, to do whatever is good. Be ready to do whatever is good all the time. And Paul is talking to the government about the government in verse 1, but then he kind of broadens it in verse 2. And he says to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. So he says we are not to slander, not to speak slander to anyone. In other words, we're not to speak evil of anyone. And some Christians will say, well, as long as I'm telling the truth, I can say it, right? Do you see any fine print there that says that? Do you find there that says there in that passage, as long as you're speaking the truth, it says no, slander no one. Speak evil of no one. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter if it's the truth. Speak evil of no one to slander no one. And I know that's difficult. When I think of my own life, boy, if I say something, it could be slander. Well, not to slander anyone, it says. No one. It, it, then it goes on and says to be peaceable. In other words, avoid quarreling is what it's saying. Do you know Christians, sometimes they're just looking for fights. Sometimes they're just looking to, to have quarrels. Sometimes they're just digging in their heels and they're so contentious. Sometimes they're just looking for confrontation with others. And you look at them and, and you look at their face and you see no joy of the Lord in their face. See no joy of the Lord in their eyes or, or in their smile. And Paul is saying, don't be like that. Don't be like this, but be like this. Be followers of Jesus Christ to make a difference in our world. We don't slander. He says, we don't slander others. We, we, we are not contentious. We're, we're part of the peacemaking process. That's what we're supposed to be. Part of the peacemaking process is what he's saying here. And then he says two positive things. He says, first, we are to be considerate. Be considerate. Sometimes we can know Scripture very well, and we can think someone is wrong uh, about something, and we want to just hammer them with the Word of God. I, I know when I first came to Christ many, many years ago, and I, I just started getting to comprehend God's Word and getting a handle on it and growing in the knowledge of God's Word. And it seemed like I liked to do that. Man, somebody was doing wrong. I wanted to step and show them in Scripture where it was wrong. But Paul tells Timothy, he says this, the servant of the Lord must be gentle to all people. We have to remind, be reminded of that. We're to be gentle. We have to be gentle and considerate with others. doesn't matter if they're wrong. Doesn't matter what they're doing is wrong or what they're saying is wrong. We're instructed with gentleness. 
with kindness. Be considerate in all areas. We're not here to win a battle. We're not here to win the battle and, and boy, I really let them have it and really, I, I really condemn them for what they're doing. No, we're called to restore people and help people to, to get back right with Jesus if they know him. If they don't know him, we want to help them to accept Jesus Christ. To condemn people and turn them away from us is not winning. And he says, be gentle, considerate, and kind to all people as you're instructing them in the Lord to draw them to Jesus, not to push them away. We want to draw them so they want to know Christ more, so they can see that loving kindness in our own lives. The second thing he says is to show true humility toward all men. And when you read this, you look at this, oh, there's really nothing hard to understand about that, is there? There's really nothing hard to show humility. I understand what he's talking about. But it's really hard to do, isn't it? It's really hard to be humble in every situation. I think we all struggle with humility. To be humble in all situations, all the time, is what he's saying. Verse 3, when you read verse 3, kind of Paul just kind of throws that in. And you read that verse, and you have to stop and say, Paul, why'd you put that in here? As I'm reading verse 3, that's the question I want you to ask. Paul, why did you put this verse in here? Why did you throw that verse in here? So let me read it. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This verse doesn't paint a bit pretty picture, does it, of us. And Paul is basically telling Titus, he says, Titus, I want to tell your people in your church, I want you to tell them to be considerate and kind, not to be quarrelsome, to be obedient and submissive. And those are all good things. Oh boy, that's good. And he's telling them, I want you to tell them. And then he throws in verse 3, and he ties it with the words at one time. And it's like giving the reason, almost to say, almost for them to say, don't look down on the world from not behaving the way you think they should behave. Because at one time, you were once just like that. At one time, you were once just like they were. At one time, you were quarrelsome. At one time, you were unkind. At one time, you were disobedient, what he's saying. And then he goes on and he uses some really strong wording here, some really strong language. He says, you were hated, and so you hated. People hated you, but you hated them right back, is what he's saying. Really strong words. And then he uses the word enslaved. He says, you were enslaved to all kinds of passions and pleasures before you came to Jesus. What he said, you were enslaved to all these things. Some of them legal, maybe some of them illegal. Maybe some of them were, were addictions, and, and, and some of them even became acceptable. And, and I think one of these passions we become enslaved to in our society, in our culture, living in, here in the United States, is materialism. Out of our greed, we want more and more. Let's be honest. We want more and more, not realizing our thirst for more over enslaves us for the materialism in our culture. In the process, we become blinded to the needs of others. We don't look to the needs of others because we want more. As a result, kindness doesn't come naturally to us because we're thinking of what we need, what I need, what my family needs, and we need more, we need more of this. And we're not looking to help others. We're not looking what others may need because it's all about us and what I need. So it doesn't come naturally, I don't think, to any of us living in America. It's very hard for us to see past that. Well, if I give them, it's going to take away from me, and I might not have in the future. So we kind of want more and more. It's that greed. And he's saying to you and I, this is what you were. You're not supposed to be like that anymore. But you are not, not that anymore. But he says, don't look down on a culture because they're this way. We have been redeemed from a culture spiritually that physically we're still in, right? 
We're redeemed from this culture spiritually, but we're still in this culture. Let's not forget what happened to us is what he's saying. Don't forget what happened to you. Let's act like Christians. Let's be Christians. Let's be kind. Let's be kind to all people. And let me, let me give you one more thought. If you have your outline, the, the second truth that we have here, he says embrace the kindness of Christ. Embrace the kindness of God is what he's talking about here. There's a word in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word that's very hard to translate because there's not one word that captures the entire meaning of this Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. It means merciful, loving kindness, steadfast love, a loyal love. And we find it 250 times in the Old Testament. Almost all of those are referencing God, of who he is, the love of God. That God is a merciful God. He is a God that's filled with loving kindness. He has a steadfast love. He has a loyal love. Let's begin reading in Titus chapter 3, verse 4. It says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. This verse is Christmas. You realize that? That's Christmas. That's what it's talking about right there. It's Christmas. That's when Jesus came to bring salvation to mankind, to the world. Right there, that's what he's talking about. When Jesus came to bring it. And notice what motivates it. Notice what motivates him to come. It's his kindness and his love. What motivates him to come? His kindness and his love. Out of his kindness and his love, he sent Jesus. Romans 2 tells us it's, a, it's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance. It's God's kindness that draws us to him. To him. Let's read verse 5 and 6 in Titus chapter 3. He says, He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, because of his mercy, because of his kindness. That's why he saved us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. What's he talking about here? He's saying it was the kindness of our God. That's what he's saying. It was the kindness of our God who, who said, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross, to bring salvation, so that every person might have the opportunity at some point in time to realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ died for them. And he goes on to say here, he says, that this righteousness, that this salvation, this righteousness is not by our righteousness. This salvation doesn't come by our own righteousness is what he's saying. There are so many homemade salvation theories today that people believe in how to get to heaven. And you hear them. And one of them is, they say, if I just have a good enough works that outweighs my bad works, then I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get into heaven. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But they're staking eternity upon that. Do you realize that? They're saying, if I just have one more good work than bad work, I'm all right. I'm getting into heaven. You're, you're hearing that. If you listen carefully, that's what people are saying. That's what some people are saying. And they're staking eternity upon that. But the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that God has a standard, and we've all fallen short of that standard. So our good works aren't going to make it. No matter how many good works we do, no matter how many, how many times our good works outweighs our bad works, it's not going to make it, is what the Bible says. Another homemade theory that people believe is, is God is going to grade on a curve. You ever hear that? Some believe God is going to create on a curve, and he's going to let so many into heaven, and all I have to do is be on the better half of those going to heaven than not the other half. Again, it doesn't make any sense. But they're staking eternity upon that. And that's not found anywhere in Scripture what they're believing. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. Another one, they say that I have to be a good person or I have to try to be a good person. Anytime somebody says like, something like that to me, I always say, 
Well, how good do you have to be? How good do you really have to be? The Bible says sinless, perfect. So that's impossible for us. That's why we all need Jesus, right? That's why we all need him, because we can't live a sinless life. We can't live a perfect life. The point of salvation comes not by our own righteousness, is what the Bible says, but it comes because of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's how salvation comes. It's through Jesus and what he did for you and I upon that cross. And he says here, through the washing of, of rebirth. In other words, we are born anew. We are born afresh. And that washing away of sins comes by the blood of Jesus. The only way that our sins are washed away because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that blood of Jesus washes away our sins so we can have a standing before God. And this all happened way back then at a point in time and where a person comes to recognize that. They finally come to recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And at some point in time, they understood that and they put their faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And I pray you've done that in your own life. I pray that everyone is here and everyone listening online has done that at some point in time in their life. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because this is not about life and death. This is about eternity, where you will spend eternity after you pass from this life. Either you will spend it with Jesus forever and ever, or apart from Jesus in a place called the lake of fire, which is a real place, which is a real place. Please, if you don't know Jesus yet, accept him today. Get that resolve today and accept him by faith. And Paul is really sharing all this. All these things I'm sharing, he's sharing all this with him. And he's saying, verse 1 and 2, this is how I want you to live. Verse 3, this is how you lived. Verse 4 through 6, but out of God's kindness, he brought salvation. And now you have this continual renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see Jesus face to face. And then he says in verse 7 and 8, because you received this kindness, now go live it out. Now go live it out. Let's read verse 7. He says, so that, so that means result or, 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 or consequences, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. What he is saying, because of our salvation, we have two things. The first one he says we have, he says we've been justified by his grace. And I love this. Paul talks about this all the time. We have been justified by his grace. We've been declared righteous by God. In other words, when we receive God, when we receive Jesus, we are looked at by God as righteous. God no longer looks at us as sinners. Do you realize that? When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God looks at you through the righteousness of Jesus. That's your standing. That's who you are. He no longer looks at you and I as sinners anymore because he looks at us through the blood of Jesus. We're right with him because Jesus washed away our sins. He cleanses us from our sins. So he looks at us as righteous, not as sinners. And that doesn't change. Once a person has been justified, that cannot change. That can never be changed. You say, what if I sin? It can't change. Because if you accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, you've been justified. And God will look at you through the righteousness of Jesus. What if I do one of those big, big, big sins? You know, one of those big sins. Can't change. Can't change at all. Because you've been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. That, does, that doesn't give us an excuse to sin. That doesn't give us an, a license to sin, as some might think. Because there's still consequences for our sin here on this earth. God will forgive us our sins. But on this earth, we will still suffer the consequences of the things that we do wrong, right? You understand that, right? Shake your head that you know that. Don't think because you know Jesus, I can do whatever I want, and God doesn't care. He does care. And if you've sinned against God, you know that God is a forgiving God, but we will suffer the consequences for our sin. But if we are justified, if we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, 
that can never change. That can never change. And that's good for us to know that. That's good for us to know that, that God is never going to change his mind about us. But he goes on and he gives us the second thing he says is a consequence or result. He says that we become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And that's great to know. That's a future with the present reality, what he's sharing with you and I. A future with the present reality. He says, while we're going to be heirs one day of Jesus, of all that God has planned for us in eternity, is that we can cash in on it today in this present reality. That I have this eternal life. That I have this forgiveness of sins. And that God loves me. And his grace and his, his mercy are poured out on me each and every day. And I understand that the Holy Spirit lives in me. I understand all these things. And I have hope of eternity to be with Jesus. I begin cashing on that in this present reality today. And to understand those things that I have because of knowing Jesus and accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. All that leads us to the conclusion in verse 8 is where Paul is leading them. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things. And he's telling Titus, I want you to really stress these things, Titus, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, he's saying. So he says, you have received the grace of God through Jesus out of his kindness. Now go be kind. Simply, that's what he's saying. Now you go be kind. And what about the political acting committees that we need to be involved in? What, what about the rallies? What about those political parties that we need to be in? We have to find a way to shift our culture, to do the things that we need to be get done. And what God is saying, be kind. Devote yourselves to doing good and good works. That's what he calls us to do. You're to devote yourselves to good works and being good. That's what God says. What are you saying? You and I have received God's goodness, God's kindness in salvation. Now you and I are to be a conduit of that kindness to our world so they might see Jesus in us. That we are to go to this world and be kind and show love to this world, even though they don't deserve it, even though they're cruel to us. Paul was saying, be kind. Demonstrate love. Show them love. doesn't matter what they're doing to you. And if you knew what was going on to them at that time, you'd realize, wow, Paul was asking a lot. He was asking a lot. So that's what happened in the first and second century. That's what happened to them. These Christians were a small demographic of society at that time, and they were thinking, what difference can we make in our world? Can we make a difference? Is it, is it possible to make a difference? And historians tell us that they made a difference, a huge difference. And not only because of what they believed, well, it was what they believed, because what they believed is shaped how they lived, shaped why they did the things they did. But the people they impacted weren't bombarded with their belief system. They were bombarded with their love and kindness. And that's what drew people. They, they took care of the sick. They took care of their hurting. They took care of those who, who were diseased. And in the Roman Empire, they had no explanation for these Christians. They didn't know how to describe them. They just said that they, they called them the third race. The third race that just loved people. And it's over a course of time that it was this moral authority that broke down the political authorities. And you saw a civilization that, that once that had heiress love being transformed into agape love, where people genuinely love people, really love them unconditionally. And you had the rise in the beginning. This foundation was based on a virtue of a Western civilization because of Christians who were kind, who were kind and loving. That's what drew people to God. That's what drew people to Jesus. They allowed Jesus to live in and through them, and they showed loving kindness. And 
people came and because and drew near to them because of loving kindness and gave them opportunity to share about Jesus. They just didn't go out there and I want to tell you the gospel, but they were loving and they were kind and people were drawn to that. So I want to close this with two questions and really a statement at the end for you to think about. First, have you accepted the kindness of God for salvation? Have you accepted God's kindness through Jesus? That's the first place to start to understand that we're all sinners and we're separated from God, but God demonstrated his kindness to us by sending his son, Jesus. Have you accepted God's kindness through Jesus? Have you accepted him as your savior, realizing he died on the cross for you? That's where you start. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service. Let's get that resolved for 2021. Now, you may have been here for a long, long time, but you've never really understood it to maybe today. To understood it today, to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's take care of that today. The second, are you showing the kindness of God? Does your kindness come out through social media? What's your writing on social media? Does your kindness come out through helping others? Does it? Think about that for yourself. You can only answer that. Let's plan as individuals and families to show the kindness of God in 2021. Let's, let's plan on doing that together. Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's really possible that the kindness that came through the Christians in those early centuries can be the kindness that comes through us as individuals, us as our families, and us at Crossroads, that we can change a culture? Just think, that's what they did. That we can change a culture, and people can be drawn to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because of us, because of the way that we live. I love the challenge of this, of being kind. Will you join me this year in 2021 and making this year of kindness to make a difference in our world in which we live, not just to complain about it, not to be talking about what political things are doing, this political party's doing, and how we disagree, but let's really say, I really want to make a change because the political parties, whether you realize or not, are going to make a lasting change. The one that makes the change is Jesus He's the one that changes people from the inside out. If you really want to see things change, as the early church did, they didn't go after the government of Rome. They went after each individual. And that's the way you change things. That's really what changes. When people see us being love and kind and demonstrating that love and kindness to others, they will be drawn to Jesus. And it gives us the opportunity to share about Christ. By the way, isn't that what attracted you to God? Didn't you, we were attracted to God because you saw his loving kindness that he sent his son Jesus into the world to die for you? Isn't that what's first attracted you to God? That that love, how could God be so kind to me when I've been so bad, so sinful, when I didn't think about him? How could God do that? That God is so loving and kind. That's what draws us to him. And that's what Paul was sharing with them. I know you live in a cruel world. I know many times they take us and he's saying, and they beat us and they throw us in jail and sometimes they put us to death. But Paul says, we're going to be different as Christians. Instead of complaining, instead of rebelling, I'm asking you to be obedient and to submit to them and show loving kindness. And it will give you the opportunity to share about the love of Jesus. It will give you the opportunity to share. And I think God is saying the same thing for you and I. Instead of complaining about how cruel our world is and how wrong it is and how bad everything is, he said, would you just live this life of demonstrating my love and kindness? Allow God's love and kindness just to be a conduit in your life and demonstrate to others. That will give us the opportunity to share with others. Why are you so loving and kind when everybody else is so cruel? Because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did for me. And it gives us that opportunity. If you want to share Christ, 
That's the way to share it. That's what Paul was telling the early church. And I believe that's what God wants for us in 2021, to show his loving kindness and looking for those opportunities to show kindness to others in the least expected places. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your commitment. And we thank you so much for your love and kindness that you demonstrated to us. Lord, you're not asking us to do anything that you didn't do to us, that you demonstrated your loving kindness when you sent your one and only son, Jesus, into this world. Lord, to die on the cross for our sins, to put us before your own son. We thank you so much for that. And so, Lord, help us to be a conduit of your love. I pray for the person this morning that may not know you. I pray right now for their soul, Lord, that they might come to understand they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And they understand, Lord, right now, if they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior yet, right now they would accept that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, and they might put their faith and trust in Jesus. I pray for all of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus, that this year, Lord, would rise to the challenge and rise to what Paul is saying in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. They would look at our world, yeah, our world's not perfect, but neither was theirs in the early church. Neither was it, has it ever been, the world has been perfect. For Lord, as we're living in this world, we might look for opportunities to make a difference. We might look for opportunities to demonstrate and show the love and kindness of God wherever we go. To open up our eyes and our minds and our hearts, Lord, to others. Let's stop complaining and let's stop looking down upon people and saying, why aren't they living the way I should? Or why is it the world the way it should be? Because, Lord, once we were like them, let's have compassion and bestow God's mercy and his grace and his loving kindness to all. Let's change this year, Lord, like it's never been changed. Use us, Lord, to impact our culture. Use us to impact our community with your loving kindness. Help us, Lord, to be bold, to change your ways, to, to demonstrate that loving kindness to all so we might have the opportunity to make a difference for you open the doors to share Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you so much for your love that you bestow upon us each and every day, that you love us and your love is unconditional, that we're justified and that it can never change when we mess up. Help us to be that way to other people, to accept them. Not the Lord that we're all right with them sinning, but we accept them and we love them unconditionally. Help us to show that love and kindness the way you demonstrated to us, even before we knew you. Help us to have your heart for people. Help us to see people the way you see them. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.